Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, in our gospel reading today, we just heard what I, I think is one of the most remarkable confessions of faith in the New Testament. And that is the words of the penitent thief. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think it's one of the most remarkable confessions of faith because uh, he is trusting that Jesus is a king who can save him while this same Jesus is dying on a cross. I think that is supernatural faith, a divine gift, a natural response is more like the rulers and the soldiers and the other thief. When they look to Jesus dying on the cross, they taunt him, they mock him, and they question him. If you are the Christ, save yourself. What kind of Messiah, what kind of king, if he had the power to save himself, would not do so? Save himself from a gruesome, torturous death and vanquish his enemies. If you are the Christ, they kept saying, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. They said it over and over again. And the, and the other thief added, and save us. Use your power, if you are a king, to save yourself and to save us. So when they looked at the cross, they looked at Christ. Naturally, what they saw was not a savior, but a failure. But this dying thief saw a king. What does he see that they don't see? Why does he see a king on a cross? Well, first he sees something about himself. He sees something about himself. He sees that he deserves God's judgment and God's sentence of condemnation. So he says to the other thief who insulted Jesus, who is hurling insults at Jesus. He says to that other thief or that criminal, Do you not fear God? Since we are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. He's saying we're getting what we deserve. Now, we would say whatever this criminal did... Whatever crime he committed, surely the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And we believe that the punishment must fit the crime. And uh, this is cruel and unusual punishment, crucifixion by death. No doubt about that. But I think at this point, this criminal who is dying on a cross is not thinking about the judgment of the state upon his crimes. He's thinking about what's going to come next in just a few hours after he dies. He's thinking about the judgment of God on his life. That's why he says, do you not fear God? <clears throat> he feared God. Somebody has written, fear of God is not a popular item on the theology or preaching menu today. We don't like to hear about it. Few people like to talk about the fear of God. We've devised a God of our imagination to escape this idea that God is to be feared. We've constructed a God that's not really the God of the Bible and not really the God of Jesus who taught his apostles to fear God rather than man. So we, we have constructed a view of God 
to escape this idea of the fear of God. And Paul Washer, missionary and a preacher, gives the example of a mob boss who's going into court and the mob boss is joking and laughing as he makes his way into court because he knows the judge he's about to see is a corrupt man because the judge is on his payroll. The judge is in his pocket. And so he laughs. He doesn't take the judgment seriously because he knows he's going to escape the judgment because the judge is corrupt. But then when he gets into the courtroom, he sees a different judge. Not the judge he thought he was going to face. Not a judge that's corrupt. Not a judge that's in his pocket. But a judge with a reputation of integrity and fairness and upholding justice. And he stops laughing. And he fears the judge. Because it's a righteous judge. The criminal on the cross understood something about himself and understood something about God. That he was a condemned man before the judgment of God. And so he said, do you not fear God? That's a question we can ask ourselves today. Do you fear God? How would you answer that question? So the dying man, he sees himself as a condemned man before God the judge. He's just getting ready to meet God. He sees this about himself, but he sees something else. He sees something about Jesus. Something about Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. We are getting what we deserve. We're about to face God's judgment. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, maybe he knew. Maybe he knew something of the backstory of how Jesus ended up on the cross that he ended up there because of trumped up charges and he was condemned for crimes he did not commit and it was a sham trial and all the rest maybe he knew something of that backstory but there's something else that probably provoked the criminal the penitent thief to say about Jesus this man's done nothing wrong and that is just before this Jesus has prayed Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A prayer of incredible love and mercy. Because he's talking about the soldiers who are crucifying him. These soldiers who have spat upon him, have scourged him, have mocked him, who crucify him, and who continue to insult him all throughout the process. Friends, we're used to seeing the cross as a beautiful object of, of wood and of jewelry. But let's not forget what it really was. It is an object. It is the object of our faith. No doubt about it. But let's not forget what it was in Roman times. It was not only an instrument of physical torture and terror. It was meant to terrorize the citizens of Rome. If you step over the line, this is what could happen to you. It was not only that, but it was an instrument of humiliation and dehumanization. And one scholar puts it this way about Roman crucifixion. Executed publicly, situated at a major highway, devoid of clothing, 
left to be eaten by beasts and birds. Victims were subject to optimal, unmitigated, vicious ridicule. This is what Jesus is going through. And the people who are putting him through that, about them he prays. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And you remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, What good is it if you love your enemies? Or what good is it if you love those who do good to you, rather? You ought to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And here Jesus is practicing what he preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Bless your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Such is the depth of Jesus' mercy towards sinners. And the criminal sees this, you see. Sees this about Jesus. And then he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He sees something about Jesus and knows that Jesus is completely innocent of the charges brought against him. And he spoke better than he knew because Jesus was not only innocent of all criminal charges, he was innocent, we believe, of all sin. And he was the spotless Lamb of God. He's the one who Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. The righteous servant of God, the suffering servant of God, who would bear the sins of many. He was numbered with the transgressors, Isaiah says, yet he bore the sins of many. And then listen to this. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. That's what he's doing right here. Jesus is fulfilling this ancient prophecy right in front of their eyes. But the rulers, the religious rulers, are too blind too blind by their pride to see what God is doing at the cross. We must not think of Jesus as a victim on the cross. He was a volunteer. And He voluntarily went to the cross for our sin. And the cross is the fulfillment of God's plan of how God, who is a righteous judge, saves sinners. How he brings sinners into his kingdom. It's through the cross, through the suffering of this innocent one, that we are cleansed. That we are forgiven. That we are pardoned. The penitent thief feared God, yes. The penitent thief knew he was a sinner, yes. Other religions teach this as well. Teaches us that we need to fear. And that we're sinners. Islam teaches this. Islam teaches that Allah is to be feared. And you need to do something. You need to follow the five pillars of Islam. And the hopes that you will be saved. Allah teaches the fear of God. Buddhists and Hindus and New Agers, they fear too. They fear karma. You get what you deserve. They fear that law. Each religion prescribes a path that you have to tread in the hopes of escaping judgment. It's an exhausting path and it's not a path of peace because you never know if you've done enough. You must meditate. You must sacrifice. You must practice these good works. You must engage in these spiritual techniques. That's the path you have to tread. In the hope, never the certainty, that you will escape what you fear. Well, 
this thief, he admitted that he was a sinner. He was the penitent thief. He admitted that God was to be feared. That's all an ingredient of the Christian faith. But it's part of the recipe, but it's not the main ingredient. The main ingredient is Christ on the cross. God in your place. God in my place on the cross. Taking the judgment you and I deserve. It's, it's, it's looking to Christ on the cross. It's looking to Christ and being compelled by Christ. Seeing something in Him that is lovely, that is beautiful, that is attractive. This man is innocent. It is Christ on the cross. That is what separates Christianity from all other spiritualities and religions. God Himself taking our place. This man has done nothing wrong, he says. He knows something about Jesus. Something's compelling about Jesus. And then he turns to Jesus with this petition. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How does he commend himself to Christ the King here? Jesus, remember my good works? Jesus, remember what I've done. Jesus, okay, I've done some wrong things. I'm a criminal. But I'm not as bad as this other guy who's railing against you. Is he trying to rationalize his sin and compare himself with others? Does he say, Jesus, look at my faith and how strong it is? Does he say, Jesus, remember that... that um, I've studied. I, I studied the law and the prophets when I was a little boy. I know something about theology and philosophy and ethics. Remember that. No, he doesn't appeal to anything about himself. But cast himself on the mercy of Christ. He looks only to the mercy of Christ. He's seen the mercy of Christ. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. See, the cross of Christ, it shatters a religion of the self. And there's a part of us that, okay, Jesus, you can do 95% and I'll do the rest of it, the 5%. The cross shatters that. It shatters the religion of positive thinking. Positive thinking is not going to save this thief who's dying on the cross. Any appeal to the self has to go at the cross. It shatters the idea that we're really not that bad because why did Christ have to go through such horrible things in order to save us? See, all these ways, they puff up the self. And so we, we have to continually go back to the cross because what God wants to do is kill off the pride that looks to self Humble us to receive His mercy at the cross of Christ. That's what God wants to do in us. And, and we need to be reminded of this again and again. And we need to pray for other people that we're concerned about spiritually. That God would bring them to that place. To see something beautiful in Christ. To see the love of Christ on the cross for them. That's what changes people. There's a place for fear. But fear doesn't really lead to a change of heart, a transformation. 
It's the love of God revealed in Christ on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he said. And, and in all likelihood, what he meant is, Jesus, I do believe that you're the Messiah. And there is coming a day. See, the Jews believe that on the last day, the, the very last day of history, God would, would, would resurrect those who are righteous. And, and even the Messiah would return. And so that's probably what he meant is when you come into your kingdom on the last day, will you remember me? (laughs) But what we see in Jesus's response is the abundant mercy of God. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And Hendrickson, a commentator, makes this observation about the abundant mercy of God. Jesus in this response. The man had asked for a blessing in the future. Jesus says today. Today. The man had asked to be remembered. Jesus remember. And Jesus says, not only will I remember you, but you will be with me. And they will be in paradise. They will be in heaven in the presence of God together. So on the last day, God will raise the dead. But until that day, the promise is that those who die in Christ will be with Him. That's a comfort for us. I like to quote this poem. My knowledge of that life is small. Life with Christ. My faith is sometimes dim. But it is enough that Christ is all. And I will be with Him. Is that your comfort today? Is that your hope? For life beyond this life. Those words today. You will be with me in paradise. The penitent thief saw himself as a dying sinner. And he found in Christ on the cross. A merciful savior. A king. This is Thanksgiving week. And we have lots of reasons to give thanks to God. I'm sure we have many blessings that we can count. The very blessings of life that we're we're alive today. We have the breath of life. We've been through a hard season of sickness and disease and difficulty. We can thank God and we ought to thank God the giver of life for life. We can thank God this week for family and friends. As we gather around the table, we can thank God for the food that we're going to eat. There's so many things that we can thank and ought to thank God for this Thanksgiving. But we ought to thank God above all for this. For this gift of Christ on the cross. This king who brings us into this kingdom. This way. This is an old story, isn't it? It's a simple story that took place 2,000 years ago. Does it really have relevance in our digital age? Does it really have something to say to modern man? I was watching... This week with Sam, our first grader, videos about the robotics revolution that's coming. Looking at what they're doing with robots today. It was both awesome and fearful how these things are developing. Does the cross have something to say to people in the digital age, in the coming robotic age? Technology changes. It always has. Human nature doesn't. We are still sinners who are going to face God after this life. 
we need a merciful Savior. Human nature doesn't change. God's nature doesn't change. We say it each Sunday. It is His property. It is His property to always have mercy. Remind yourself of that today when you come to the table of the Lord for this Thanksgiving celebration. Every Sunday we have a Thanksgiving meal, the Eucharist. Thank God for the mercy He's shown to you at the cross. If your love for Christ is cold, ask God to warm your love for Him. Pray for those who don't know this mercy. Let's not tire of telling about the cross, trusting the cross, and thanking God for it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for the gift of your Son. We thank you, Lord Christ, that you freely gave your life for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the love that you pour into our hearts and the gift of faith that you give to us as we look to Christ. We thank you and praise you, triune God of love and mercy, for reminding us this day of how we become citizens of the kingdom of God. We give you thanks and praise. Amen.